Good. We can have our Bible readings now. The Bible readings are on your separate paper. And they're from Psalm 145 and Matthew 9. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand satisfying the desire of every living thing. The Lord is just in all his ways and kind in all his doings. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of all who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom, and the meditation of my heart bring understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. I got an email on Monday that I I shouldn't have received. It's not as dramatic as it sounds. It was an email sent to me by mistake by by Waterstones. As some of you know, I, I like books. And every week, Waterston sent me an email of all the books that were coming out um, in this particular week. And so, a few hours later, they realized their mistake, and they sent me the proper email. And as I scrolled down this email, I was drawn to a particular book by Charlie Mackesy. If you don't know who Charlie Mackesy is, he's an artist who's kind of probably approaching about 60 now. And about 30 years ago, he had a dramatic conversion encounter from being an atheist to meeting Jesus. And since then, in all sorts of ways, he's kind of used his skills in in art, whether sculpting, whether painting, whether illustrating, to try to put some messages out there about who is God and what is God like. And he's recently, over the past couple of years, he's been posting images online of a friendship, if you like, a relationship between a boy, a mole, a fox, 
and a horse. You might think that's a, a curious thing to sort of like have a friendship about, but these images, these illustrations have struck with people so much so that they've gone viral and they've kind of become this online phenomenon. As a result, Penguin, the book company, came knocking at his door and said, would you put these illustrations in a book? And so he's, he's put them in a, illustrations in a book. It, the book came out last Thursday, and I was particularly struck by, by the one I put on your handout there of the conversation between the boy and the mole, where the mole asks the boy the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the boy responds saying, kind. What do you want to be when you grow up? And the boy responds by saying, kind. You see, we're exploring as a church through September and October this series about what we call the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which, if you like, is all about displaying signs in our lives of what grown-up Christianity looks like, of what it looks like to live a life as if Jesus was us. And we said the best way to think of them is to think of them as nine segments of an orange, And one of those segments of an orange is living a life of kindness. And when I I think of many in this church, many of us live lives displaying kindness. I think of one that that some of you are involved in, in in this parish, in the community support team, for instance. But I wonder what's the kindest act someone has ever done for you? Or if that's too too broad a question, what's the kindest act that someone has done for you in the recent past? It was a warm Monday morning in September three years ago and I was sat drinking tea in Lamar Vineyard. It's a great thing to do on a Monday morning, isn't it? And anyway, I was sat there with George and I was sat there with my mum. And we were just about to leave when my mum decided that what she wanted to do was she wanted to go and have a look, if you've ever seen it, they've got a little herb garden. And she wanted to go and have a look at this, this herb garden. Well, let me just tell you now, I was not feeling very kind. And I didn't want to go to this herb garden. And I made it pretty kind of clear in my body language that I didn't want to go to see this herb garden. But she's my mum, isn't she? So what does your son do? You go and take her to this herb garden. I remember looking at this herb garden for a few minutes, not very long. And then we were walking back to the car. And the way we were walking past it, I'm sure many of you will know it, is kind of opposite the main house in Lamar Vineyard. There's this little room. I think they call it the garden room. It's just off near the front lawn. And I was drawn. And as I was looking, going along, my eye line was drawn because the entrance doors were open to a particular book on a table. And I thought I recognized this book. And then I noticed another of the same total book, and another one, and another one. So what do you do then? Well, the group that were meant to be in there were on a break. So I decided to just barge in there, just kind of have a look and see what sort of book and be a bit nosy. And then hiding in the corner was the trainer of that particular group. He was called Steve. And so I got talking to him and I said, oh, who, who are you? And, and, and so on from there. And then he, he kind of said to me, oh, well, I'm doing some training for a particular company over here. 
And I said, oh, well, I've noticed the book that you're using. I really know the book. It was a book called The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. Patrick Lencioni, if you don't know, is one of the leading management consultants in America. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. Why are you using this book? And then he told me, well, he worked for the UK arm of Patrick Lencioni's company. And so he was doing this training, and he said, would you like a copy of this book? So I thought, well, I didn't tell him I had a copy of the book. But I said, well, why not? Because books are meant to be given away, don't you? So I gave it away to someone else. But he then said, do you know Patrick has written a book for priests? And I said, no, I didn't. I mean, I read quite a few of his books, but I didn't know he'd written a book for priests. And it's just, it's just come out. And so I said, all right. Because by that stage, he'd worked out that I was a, a priest. And so he said, well, listen, if you can't get hold of the book, let me know, and I'll see if I can get you a copy. Well, I left. As soon as I got home, I went searching as far as wide as I could to see if I could find the book, which, which, which I couldn't. And so I sent Steve an email, and I said, Steve, you may remember me. I was the person who barged in basically into your conversation this morning and just started to talk to you. And so he said, well, he didn't respond. And I said, well, I really like a copy of this book, but I can't get it. Is there any way I can buy it from you? No response. About seven days later, this big padded envelope arrived through the letterbox of the rectory. And so I opened it, and inside this big padded envelope was another padded envelope. And this padded envelope had a postmark from San Francisco. You see, the book had not come from Steve in England. It had come from someone in America. And then I opened up the book. And inside was this personal greeting that said, Rector Ian... Hope you enjoy this and find it helpful. God bless you and the people you serve for him, Pat Lencioni. You see, when I look back on that day, I think of the kindness of a stranger. This man I'd never met before, whose life I kind of just barged into and interrupted. And when I think about it, I was completely undeserving. Because I didn't want to take my mum to see the herb garden. And the only reason I met him was because I did take my mum to see the herb garden. And here he was, he'd not only arranged for me a copy of this book, he'd arranged for it to be personally signed as well. And when I think of that man, I think of Jesus all the time, because that was Jesus, wasn't it, all the time. All the time, his life was interrupted by people. These probably, people probably, in most cases, weren't very deserving. And over and over again, he just displayed kindness to him, didn't he? Think about it. Let's think about it. Let's think about some of Jesus' most famous encounters. You may remember the encounter in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus was teaching to a large crowd. We don't know how many, but it was a crowd. And this synagogue leader called Jairus, he, he comes along, doesn't he? He comes along and he says, Jesus, my daughter is dying. Please will you come and heal her? And so what does Jesus do? He leaves the crowd. And he goes and raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. And then while he's on his way, what does he do while he's on the way? He gets interrupted again, this time by a woman who's been suffering hemorrhages for 12 years. And Jesus, this time, he heals her. 
Or think of another occasion where Jesus goes to the region of Tyre. If you don't know where the region of Tyre is, it's in very, right at the top of northern Israel, southern Lebanon now is where it is. And Jesus goes to this house and he leaves instructions and he says, listen, I don't want to be disturbed. Just don't, I just don't want to be disturbed. And then what do we read? We read that this woman, this Syrophoenician woman, that's a Canaanite woman, she comes to Jesus and knocks on the door and says, please, will you come and heal my daughter? She's possessed by a demon. What does Jesus do? He leaves the house straight away and heals the woman's daughter. You see, but Jesus didn't just act kindly. He talked about kindness a lot, didn't he? He probably gave us some of the most simplest explanations, didn't he, of what kindness is like. Love your neighbor. Or, as it's said in the golden rule, in everything do to others as you would do as you would have them do to you. He certainly told the most famous story about kindness, didn't he? That walk down the Wadi Kelt, or as we know it, the story of the Good Samaritan. How many lives has that story transformed? And even at his death, he's still thinking about kindness, isn't he? He looks at his mum. And says to one of his disciples, look after her. And if that's not enough, just before he dies, he leads a dying man and shows him kindness. The thief on the cross and leads him to salvation. He personified kindness. Because he was God in human form. He was demonstrating to us what God is like. The Hebrew word for kindness is the word kesed. It's a very, very deep and rich word in Hebrew. So much so that when it gets translated into English, they can't find one word to describe it. Sometimes it's described as faithful. Sometimes it's merciful. Sometimes it's kindness. Sometimes it's love. Sometimes it's steadfast love. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness. It's that same word that we've heard the last two Sundays, if you've been with us, when we've talked in that psalm about the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That verse is a very important verse in the Bible. It's repeated on a number of occasions throughout the Bible. It didn't just appear once, it appears at least five times. The first time it appears... Is when God gives Moses the second copy of the Ten Commandments. And there, God says of himself, the Lord is gracious and merciful and so on. David would twice write about this in two of his Psalms. The prophets would also talk about this verse and would repeat it again, both in Jonah and the book of Joel, to describe God's kindness not just to Israel, but to all people. And of course, ultimately, we see God's kesed in the way in which he sends Jesus to live amongst us and to die for us as those, as the Apostle Paul said in that verse from Titus that you can see there, that tells us of how God's loving kindness is completely undeserved. It's just who God is. 
that is kind. And when I think of that one, God's kindness, one of the, one of the verses that has struck me most in my life that speaks to me about God's kindness and what it's like, I, I kind of came across it about 30 years ago now through a, through a song that became very popular in, in churches, kind of like towards the early 90s. I don't know if it ever reached this church. It went... Cast your burdens onto Jesus because he cares for you. Anyone heard that one? Few of you have. We won't sing it for you. Cast your burdens onto Jesus because he cares for you. It's taken from a verse in 1 Peter chapter 5 that says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I wonder how often we do that. In a world where God is often caricatured as this policeman who is looking to catch us out when we've done something wrong or as some sort of tyrannical ruler as which we've got to cower in in fear. To talk about God's kindness in this way is completely alien to many. A God who longs to pour out his mercy over and over and over again. And I think of that verse when I keep hearing that we live in a world now that is more anxious, more stressed, more fearful. And I think, what a verse to put into practice. What a verse to, to live out to people. As some of you know, over recent weeks, I've been visiting John Wildman quite a bit. Most of you will, will, will know John. And over the perhaps the last five weeks up until last Thursday, he's been at, at Clinic Pennell, kind of like at St. Saviour's Hospital. And he's given me permission to, to share this with you because we don't talk about mental health issues and anxiety issues that much, do we? We kind of think that they're a bit of a subject that we shouldn't talk about but I've just been gently encouraging him there and I know one or two others have been to see him as well and thank you for that he's now back at Maison St. Brillard to just cast all his anxiety cast that word throw it literally throw it off yourself and throw it onto Jesus because that's who Jesus is that's what his kindness is like that's what he wants us to do and in the time that's left, I just want to say, if you've done that, if you've received God's loving kindness, what does his kindness then look like in our everyday lives? What, what sort of images does it describe in terms of when we think about it in the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Well, let's begin with a definition. If I was to ask you, what is kindness? See, if you ask me, I'd just describe it in three words. Kindness is love in action. What do we hear in the most famous reading about love in the Bible? Love is kind. It's a practical expression of love. As a church, any church is called to be kind to one another. It's love in action. 
But it's, kindness is like, it's a bit like patience and some other virtues. It doesn't just happen, does it? Kindness is described like patience as something that we have to put on daily. Like a coat or like a jumper, we kind of have to say, I'm going to put on kindness today. And from there we go looking, don't we? We go looking for how we can show kindness in the worlds in which we live because the worlds in which we live are are full of broken people. Including you, including me, and so is the church. And then that kindness, well actually what the Bible says is that it's not just about actions. It's about words. It's about words and actions that draw people to God. Sensitive words, supportive words, sympathetic words. Sometimes they might be spontaneous words, occasionally. But I think only occasionally they should be perhaps straightforward words. One of the best examples of kindness that we see in the Bible, and maybe you might want to go go away and read this, is of the relationship between David and Jonathan. One the son and the heir to the throne of of King Saul and the other the one who would take the throne. Their kindness, their faithful love towards each other withstood and overcame the pressures, if you like, of power dynamics, of, of monarchies, of family tensions, of greed, of envy and jealousy. And Jonathan was repeatedly placed in this very difficult position between having to choose between his father, the king, and his best friend, David. And one time we read that David was, was low in spirit because he was being hunted through the, the wilderness in Israel by King Saul. And it was Jonathan who, great, at great risk to himself, he kind of said, I'm going to put on kindness today. I'm going to put on that jumper of kindness. And he went and found David. At great cost himself. We read the verses. He strengthened him through the Lord. Kindness involves words and deeds that draw people to God. Paul said it best to the church at Rome. God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance. It's why kindness encapsulates this idea of how Jesus lived his life. A life full of grace and truth. If we look at that that diagram that we see that I put in your hand out there. That talks about how we can live our lives in terms of, of grace and truth. We can live our lives in one of four areas. You know, in reality we operate across all four. Because we all have bad days, don't we? You know, sometimes we have those bad days where it's just low levels of grace and low levels of truth in it. I just don't care. You know, we, we, we have those days. Sometimes we, we live kind of like in the bottom right quadrant where we've got high levels of grace and low levels of truth. If you like, we, we live a life of confirmation. In other words, what we do there is we kind of just accept anything and affirm anything at the same time. It's, it's sometimes the nice thing to do. It's especially the easy thing to do. But is it the kind thing to do? 
Sometimes we live our lives in the top left quadrant where we have low levels of grace and high levels of truth. We live a life of condemnation. If I was to describe that sort of life, you know, there's a saying, isn't there? It's cruel to be kind. It's probably when we live too much emphasis on the cruel and not enough on the kind. But Jesus had this life where he was able in whatever he encountered to live a life full of grace and truth. If you like, it's a life of God's loving kindness. It involves acceptance without affirmation. As Jesus would say to the woman caught in adultery, do I condemn you? No, but go and sin no more. And navigating a path into that path in today's world is messy. Because we live in a world that talks about individual choice as the most important thing. And therefore, kindness, kindness is costly. And we have to ask, are we willing to suffer to be kind? Maybe to suffer rejection for the truth, but actually, if you think about it more, to suffer for grace. Because when we think about kindness, it requires time. And the enemy of kindness is busyness. It's very difficult to be kind, isn't it, when you're busy? But also it involves humility. The Greek word for mm. kindness is the word Christotes. It means someone who's adaptable to others. It means someone who just kind of says, when they see a situation, how can I help? Or to put it in, if you like, God language, it's to do, what would I do for that person if that person were Jesus? Or what would I do for that person if they were Jesus? It's that sort of kindness. But kindness, it just is one of those things, isn't it, that just moves people. It changes people. That's why if you want a bit of theology from the film Evan Almighty, when Evan wonders how does he change the world and the guy who plays God says with one random act at a time. So let me leave you with a, with a story of kindness from a man you have never met before. I read about his story about three months ago now. But that's the thing about kindness. It moves you, doesn't it? It kind of sticks with you. It's, in, it's infectious. It's from a man you will, uh, you will never meet this man. You will never know this man. He was just... Uh, a man who just kind of practiced kindness in everyday ways. And he was a member of a large church. And he, and he decided that what he wanted to do was he wanted to spend his life serving in the church with the 20s-somethings that were in his church. And he was a little bit older, but not that much older. And when he was in his 30s, he suddenly decided he was going to give up his job. And he was going to serve at the church there full-time. For no pay. He never owned a home. He never married. 
He never went on an expensive holiday. He just put kindness into practice in every day and befriended people. He saw potential in people. He invited people into groups and got them to contribute to one another. He saw potential in discouraged people. He had a radar for lonely people. And he told people, kept on telling people what they could become. And he made an impact upon those, those 20 subjects and the other people that were leading. And those leaders went on a retreat. And he was a bit of a runner. And early one morning, he was out running and he accidentally stepped in front of a bus. And it struck him and killed him. The group, and the, the group of the 20s and the leaders were absolutely devastated, but they had no idea of the impact that this man's life made. You see, they, they had a wake in the chapel of the church that he went to. In those days, they had the wake before the service. The day before the service. And people came and they, they talked about him. So many people came that many had to queue for hours. 800 people came. And then the next day was his funeral. And the chapel could seat about 500 people. It was the only funeral in more than a decade in that church that they moved the service from the chapel to the 2000 seat auditorium you see he just lived kindness love in action he just put it on daily and through his words and actions just simple words everyday encouraging words he drew people to himself but better he drew people to Jesus he was full of grace and truth. He knew the costs. He never married. It took all over his life. He kind of never had a proper job after that. He just kept saying, how can I help? And it changed the world. But that's what kindness does, doesn't it? It's so simple, but it's infectious and it changes us. It actually draws people to us. But most of all, it draws people to Jesus let us pray maybe some of you are praying this prayer every day like, like I am and we just close with that prayer today Heavenly Father we pray that this day we may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, we pray that this day we may take up our cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, we pray that this day you would fill us with your presence and cause your fruit to ripen in our lives. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.